This is on a bus on the way back from church camp. I'm 13 and so are you. I thought camp was going to be me and three or four other guys I hadn't met yet running around getting into trouble. It ended up being me and just one girl. That's you. And we're still at camp as long as we're on the bus and not at the pickup point where our parents are waiting for us. We're still wearing our camp t-shirts. We still smell like pine needles. Now, I like you and you like me, but I'm more than like you and I don't know if you do or don't more than like me. You never said. And I haven't said anything all summer content with the small miracle of a girl choosing to talk to me and choosing to do so the next day and so on. A girl who's smart and funny, who if I'm willing to say something dumb for a laugh is willing to say something two or three times as dumb to make me laugh. A girl who reads books that aren't assigned to her, whose hair has a line running through it where she put it up while it was still wet. Back in the real world, we don't go to the same school. And unless one of our families moves to a dramatically different neighborhood, we won't go to the same high school, so... This is kind of it for us. Unless I say something. And it might definitely be it for us if I do say something. The sun's going down now and the bus is quiet. A lot of kids are asleep. We're talking in whispers about a bush we saw at a rest stop that looks like a kid we know. And then I'm like, can I tell you something? And I start telling you. And I keep telling you, and it keeps coming out of me, and your face is there and gone and there and gone as we pass under the lights that line the sides of the highway. No expression on it. And before long, I begin to think I'm just talking to lengthen the time where we live in a world where you have not said yes or no yet. And regrettably, I end up using the word destiny. I'm not really sure in what context. It really doesn't matter. Before long, I run out of things to say, and you just smile and say, Okay. I'm not really sure what you mean by that, but it seems vaguely positive, and I'd leave in order not to spoil the situation, but there's nowhere to go because we're on a bus. I pretend like I'm asleep, and before long, I really am. I wake up, and the bus isn't moving anymore. The dome lights that line the center aisle are all on. I turn, and you're not there. A lot of kids aren't in their seats anymore. You're probably in your dad's car with your luggage and things piled high in the back seat. The girls at the back of the bus are shrieking and laughing, taking their sweet time disembarking. And I swing my legs into the aisle just as one of them reaches my row. It had been our row and we'd got on. It's Michelle, a girl who was once suspended from the third grade for throwing rocks at my head. Now, adolescence is doing her a ton of favors body-wise. She looks down at me, her head blasted from behind by the dome light, so I can't really see her face but I can see her smile. And she says one word. Destiny. <laughs> then she and the girls clogging the aisle behind her all laugh and exit the bus. I didn't know you were friends with them. I grab my stuff, find my mom in the parking lot, and we drive home. Camp is over, and so is summer, even though there's two weeks left till school starts. Now this isn't a story about how girls are evil or love is bad. It's about how I learned something. I'm not saying it's true or not, it's just something that I learned. I poured my heart out to you. I allowed myself to become more vulnerable than I've ever been before. And you crushed me. Now if I can't trust you, someone I can see and touch, whose name I know, whose face I could pick out of any crowd anywhere, 
Why should I trust some Jewish guy who died a billion years ago I never even met? Is it sad? Yeah. But it's a sadness I chose. I wish I could say this was a story about how I got on the bus a boy and got off a man more hardened, cynical, and mature. But that's not true. The truth is, I got on the bus a boy and I never got off the bus. Still haven't. Wow. Uh, some humor to the story that you just saw, but also some reality. And the reality is, is that many of the phases of our life, we get stuck. And it affects us no matter how old we are into the future. Sometimes it's rejection. Sometimes it's a habit. Sometimes it's a painful experience. Sometimes it's words spoken into us and we're stuck on the bus. And the good news is, we're starting a series now called Escape. Turn to the person next to you and say, hurry, you can escape if you want. <laughs> I'm not saying get out of the church right now. I'm just saying you have an opportunity. There is an opportunity, and we're going to look at some of the hope that's available for us no matter what season or stage of life that we're in, and very excited. But before I dive into our message, I just want to take a moment and pause and celebrate something. You know, I'm a person of vision. And sometimes when you're a person of vision, all you see is the future. And you don't stop and celebrate what's just happened. And I think God is doing an amazing thing within our church on each of our three campuses. Last Sunday, for our Super Sunday, we had record attendance on all three of our campuses. We saw over 200 people raise their hand to follow Jesus when Tim Tebow raised his hand. And... Uh, yeah, praise God. That's a big deal. All of heaven has a party if it's just one, right? And uh, on top of that, we saw in our kids' ministry a great deal of excitement and energy. And, and uh, wow, what an amazing time as people came to faith in Jesus. Perhaps you're here today and you checked us out last week and you came back as a curious onlooker this week. And you're like, I'm not sure what I think about this place. I just want to say welcome back. And uh, feel free to keep coming. You're welcome home in many ways. Uh, feel free to keep coming, and we enjoy having you as a part of our church. I also want to celebrate something in the spirit of celebration, and that is today is the one-year anniversary of our Elk River campus. It's happy birthday, Elk River. And uh, happy birthday to you, happy birthday to you, you know, and to say happy birthday to you. Um, Wow, what an amazing story. It was kind of like a surprise pregnancy in the middle of our building program. We didn't expect Elk River to come in, and we are so glad she did. Just last week, we had a record attendance of over 300 people in Elk River, and uh, saw over 66 kids in the kids' ministry, and what a cool deal. And uh, along with Maple Grove and Spring Lake Park, we say happy birthday to you. Let's get back to the message, and uh, the story of our lives is sometimes as we move forward, we're struck with things that we didn't anticipate. We're stuck, and we're trapped in mental thinking. We're trapped in a season of our life. We're stopped from being everything that we want to be, 
And uh, I run into people of all ages as a pastor that no matter what their age is, they're stuck, they're trapped by something that happened earlier on in their life. A trap is any device or strategy or pathway to catch a person. It's a mouse trap. It's uh, something that, it's a mechanical device that suddenly springs on you and you didn't anticipate it happening. Most dangerous thing about traps are the ones where you didn't recognize them ahead of time. You thought it was one thing and then you got locked into something else. Sometimes it happens when we're young and sometimes it happens when we're old, but you know, an innocent hanging out with a group of friends turned into an addiction or an innocent kind of look at something on the internet turned into something that still controls your life years and years later. Or the pain of rejection goes in you and all of a sudden anger gets a hold of your heart and you are trapped in it. And that trapped feeling turns into bitterness and that bitterness can still hold on to us. People get stuck in phases of life and they never grow out of it. And they're vulnerable. And when we're vulnerable, we become vulnerable to other things. And I'd like to say that this series is a little bit like the book of Proverbs. Proverbs is like the older you talking to the younger you. Can you remember your life 10 years ago? Can you remember your life 20 years ago? And you were to dial it back maybe even to a year ago, and you were able to come in like the narrator and speak to yourself, say, don't get into that. Don't do it. It's dangerous. It'll wreck your life. You know, you'd say it to yourself. Well, that's exactly what the word of God is. And the voice of wisdom comes and it talks about traps. Proverbs 18, for example, the mouths of fools are their ruin. They trap themselves with their lips. Rumors are dainty morsels that sink deep into one's heart. Did you ever have a word that was spoken about you? that went into your heart? Somebody said something, you heard about it and it dropped your confidence or maybe you were the one that shared something and you wish you hadn't because it destroyed a friendship, it destroyed a relationship and you can't get the words back in your life. Proverbs 7, Solomon speaking, he says, so she seduced him with her pretty speech and enticed him with her flattery and he followed her at once. Like an ox going to the slaughter, he was like a stag caught in a trap, awaiting the arrow that would pierce its heart. He was like a bird flying into a snare, like little knowing it would cost him his life. See, we get trapped into things, and sometimes it was our decision, and sometimes somebody else intentionally pulled us into something we should have never got into. But we can get trapped by external temptations and pressures from the world around us. And let's be honest, it's everywhere we go. Teenagers nowadays have things they can go to on the internet that parents never would have let their kids even see 10 years ago. And there are things around us in the world around us that are impacting us. But the reality is it's not just external, it's also internal. James says in James 1.14, temptation comes from our own desires, which entice us and drag us away. And these desires give birth to sinful actions. And when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. You know what he's saying? He's saying the trap is a process. It works off of our own desires. It throws some cheese in there. And that cheese is what we chase, and we grab a hold of that. We take the bait. 
And now all of a sudden the trap comes down to us or the hook is in our mouth. And we find ourselves following something, but it doesn't ever stop there for it takes us down a different path. It grows. It grows in the dark. It grows in your heart when you don't address it. And if you leave it inside, it grows over time. It's like bitterness taking poison and waiting for the other person to die. And your anger towards somebody else really doesn't get you free. It actually gets worse. And then it grows to a point where it births death. You see, sin is not stagnant, nor is it neutral. It is an infection that leads to death. Death can mean that you're missing out on life, the opportunities of who you could be, who you wish you were, what you wish your marriage was like, what you thought it could be like with your friendships or in your self-control, and it takes a hold of you. But listen, it's not just with the big, biggie sins. There's also silent inner things that challenge us, that trap us. Greed can get a hold of our hearts. It's a silent assassin that can lead to debt and pursuing things to fill a void that only God can fill. First Timothy, Paul is speaking to his younger mentee, Timothy, and he says, but people who long to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into, the ru- into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, and some people craving money have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. You know, greeds, I've heard people say, well, I don't want any money then. Because if that's how it ends up, he didn't say money is the evil. It's the love of money. It's the pursuit as if I need that to make myself happy. And listen, you can get all the money in the world, all the influence in the world, all the stuff you want, but it'll only make you more of what you already are. And greed is saying, I need that to make me But in Jesus Christ, we can discover that in him we are made whole. I don't need that to make me. Now I can own the money. I can put it in God's hands and he's got a hold of it so that the greed doesn't rule my heart. But if the truth be known, our culture is full of silent assassins, if you will, that are taking us out and then we get guilty of jealousy We look at somebody else and we can't be happy when somebody else is happy. That that destroys our relationships because we're not celebrating one another. Anger can start with a pain in childhood but grow into killing your marriage or your key relationships. And you become silent and withdraw from your partner. Or you explode in anger because of something that happened back when you were on the bus. Something someone else had said to you. In this series, we're gonna look at God's word because there is a way out, a way off the bus, if you will, an escape opportunity. And I want you to turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 10 because this is the foundational verse, 1 Corinthians 10, 13, that I want us to really build the entire series off of. How do we find ways of escape? And I want you to go ahead and If you've got it in your Bible, you can read it there. I've got it in the English Standard Version on the screen. Why don't you read it out loud with me? You ready? Here we go. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, 
And he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. I love this verse because, again, it's Paul speaking to us, and he doesn't deny the fact that there really are temptations. There are things calling out to us. And sometimes it's a temptation to think about old things. It's a temptation to remember old pain. And if we go down that pathway and we give in to that type of thought and it rules our life, the more we think about it, the more angry we become towards the people in the present tense. And Paul is not denying that the temptation is there. What he's saying is, in the temptation, he will help you. You'll be able to either stand up underneath it or you will be able to find a way of escape. And truthfully, friends, that's what the word of God is all about. The word of God is a way for us to move and escape. If you lean into God's word, you can discover that there are exit signs everywhere. Power to cut the ties to your past. Psalm 25, my eyes are always on the Lord, for he rescues me from the traps of my enemies. Psalm 124, we escaped like a bird from a hunter's trap. The trap is broken and we are free. Our help is from the Lord who made heaven and earth. And then Jesus says this, He said to the people who believed in him, and in John 8, you are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings, and you will know the truth, and the truth will what? Set you free. See, Jesus is the word of God. In another place, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. If you want to figure out a way off the bus to get yourself free from the traps in your life, the starting point is understanding it's Jesus that you need to get to know. It's not 10 steps from some book or some way to overcome the evil calories in a diet, okay? And it's not something you get on the pharmaceutical shelf that's the the way to, to live a godly life. No, what it is is learning to turn to Jesus And if you learn and follow him and his ways, this Bible is more than a history book. It is exit signs to your temptations. It's freedom from your traps. It's the capacity to have strength in the middle of overwhelming odds. And if you know Jesus, you know the truth, and the truth will set you free. See, you and I can break free from generational patterns of dysfunction. As a pastor, one of the things that I know is I see your faces. I get to see the smiles and sometimes the snoozing during my sermons. (laughs) I get to see you going on board and escaping on your phones. I get to see the awkwardness that you feel when you walk in the doors. Some of you it's difficult to even come into a crowd like this. And I know that inside of you and I, there are things that we need to be set free from. And my hope is in this series that we would be able to not just acknowledge it or act like we've got this old friend with us and that's who we'll always be, but that we will discover together that there is freedom in our future even if there is pain in our past that there is freedom ahead of us. 
And sometimes we get caught up in lies and myths and things we've told ourselves so much that it becomes truth, but it's not the truth. It's a reality, a constant awareness of the pain of our past. And we think that that's all we'll ever know because it's written on our DNA somehow. We think because our parents struggled with something and we were handed that as we grew up in our family and the dysfunction that we have was brought to us by our parents that somehow our DNA is different than somebody else's DNA. But the reality is this, all DNA is screwed up by sin. And Jesus is the only way for you to make your way out. And he has a way of taking generational dysfunction, generational sin habits, generational uh, instinctual things that we do in our relationships that hurt people. He has a way of taking those things out and replacing them with new creation stuff. The new creation where the old is gone and the new has come. In my years as a youth pastor, one of the things that I had to stare in the face of teenagers, and we would be at camps and God would be getting a hold of students and and we'd have wonderful altar times where they would come to the front of a room at the end of a sermon and spend time on bended knee and really work with God and pour their heart out to God. One of the things that they had in their heart was a fear. The fear was about the future because their parents were divorced. And they wondered somehow if they had been given inferior DNA so that they could never have a lifelong marriage themselves. And so the decisions of the generation ahead of them robbed them of hope for their own future. And friends, I want you to know this, that God has a way of taking the worst dysfunction, the worst sin, the worst possible things in our life, and the next generation does not have to repeat our mistakes. That the next generation can know Jesus and he can set them free from those dysfunctions. Come somebody, I'm starting to preach now. You can break free of generational patterns of dysfunction. Through Jesus, you can find freedom. In our church, there are hundreds of living testimonies of people who are finding freedom from addiction and from pain and from guilt and shame and habits that destroy hidden ties to the past. They're everywhere. In fact, the last I checked, I looked at our our database. We don't have one perfect person in our church. It's amazing. It is just absolutely amazing. There are just literally hundreds and hundreds of people who are coming out of whatever it is they're coming out of and God is creating a new story. And they're still not perfect. They're just saved and following the way, the truth, and the life. And sometimes it takes decades of transformation and sometimes it's all in one moment. But we're all following the same Jesus. We got people like those, the 16 households that went through Financial Peace University this past fall, where they learned biblical principles of discipline with what they spend. You know, they say the number one reason that marriages split up in America is finances. And we are told when we're young that you can have it all. We're marketed to, you can have it all. And the availability of credit, I'll just get it now and before I have the money. And then it ends up hurting us and destroying our future. And the debt lassoing relationships weighs down on them. 
And so these couples, individuals got into the households, into the Financial Peace University. And listen to this. In just a few short weeks, they got together. And just this last fall, 16 households eliminated $80,296 of debt just in those 16 houses. And they saved an additional $52,000 just in a few short months. Those 16 households. Some of you are like, boy, we got a lot of rich people in our church. No, we don't. We got normal everyday people paying bills, trying to figure out the end of the month where I'm going to pay the grocery bills. How I'm going to pay the grocery bills. But you know what we can do is we can follow God's word. And as we follow him, we can learn. And then whom the sun sets free is free indeed. We have literally hundreds of people who have broken the pattern of drug and alcohol addiction in our church. And God is restoring the years the locusts have eaten. He's building a new story in them. Our men's discipleship groups and connect groups and People are gathering together. We've got men that are gathering together and are getting free from pornography addictions that have wrapped them. And you know what? I, I, I would say this. There is probably no greater crisis for men in the land than pornography. It's a hidden assassin. And people feel guilt from it, but they can find freedom through Jesus Christ, the word of God, and being in accountability with their brothers in Christ. Can I get an amen? They can find freedom. Our women are gathering together many different things. This week I heard a story from, about um, Becky Meyerson teaching a class on Philippians and the power of your thinking and the mind and understanding what the word does to win the battle of the mind. Our youth ministry is, is raised up in a new era. You know, it was really simple back when I was a youth pastor. We just did pin the beard on Moses. I'm just kidding. <laughs> but this generation is different. Our youth pastors and each of our campuses are dealing with a different reality for the next generation. See, the kids are growing up in a world where up is down and down is up. Where sin is not sin anymore to the culture around them, where the truth is whatever you look up on Google. You don't listen to the news, you don't listen to the teacher, you're not even sure if you listen to the preacher. This next generation is confused and wandering like sheep without a shepherd. It's like what Isaiah said, what sorrow for those who say that evil is good and good is evil, that dark is light and light is dark, that bitter is sweet and sweet is bitter. But let me tell you this, right in the middle of a culture where it seems so dark, the light is shining. And we're discovering and seeing kids come out of homes and schools and different places where there's nothing but dysfunction all around them, but they show up on a Wednesday night. And they experience the true love of Jesus, the preached word of God, shepherd-hearted leaders who love those students and are taking care of them. And we're not perfect, but we're seeing a generation being one to Jesus Christ. Come on, somebody. Whom the sun sets free is free indeed. There is a way out. There is an escape. And we will talk about escaping over the next couple of weeks. We're gonna talk about the battle of the mind. We're gonna talk about closing the door to anger and bitterness. And we're gonna talk about finding freedom in Jesus. But I'm gonna give you right now the most important step of escape. And that's all, the rest of my message here. Luke chapter 18. Luke 18 says this. Jesus is talking. And he's talking about 
a story of two different types of people. Those two types of people perhaps are here today. And he says this, then Jesus told this story to some who had great confidence in their own righteousness and scorned everyone else. Two men went to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee and the other was a despised tax collector. And the Pharisee stood by himself and prayed this prayer. I thank you, God, that I am not like other people, cheaters and sinners and adulterers. I'm certainly not like that tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give you a tenth of my income. I love how Jesus tells a story. He shows that there's a guy that goes in public and prays to the God who sets people free. But he's really the one who is stuck on the bus. He's really the one who is trapped. This Pharisee is praying and his outward world seems all put together. But his inner world is not being set free because he's, already, he's accumulating this sense of, of, of wholeness by comparing himself to other people. And he's convinced himself he's good enough because he's not bad, as bad as that person. And he points his finger at somebody else. Friends, if you point yourself, your finger at anybody else as a comparison, you're not doing yourself any favor. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We all got issues, right? Turn to the person next to you and say, I'm not any better than you. <laughs> However, Jesus then says, and this guy, by the way, this Pharisee, he's got all these systems to try to make himself look good. He fasts twice a week. He ties. He lets everybody know it. He's very religious, but he's very trapped. And then he says, but. Everybody said, but. Everybody's got a but. <laughs> an exception. Jesus has an exception. There's a better way here. But the tax collector stood at a distance and dared not even lift his eyes to heaven as he prayed. Instead, he beat his chest in sorrow, saying, Oh God, be merciful to me, for I am a sinner. I tell you, this sinner, not the Pharisee, returned home justified before God. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. The second man knew who he really was, actually stayed at a distance, but talked to his Savior. He talked to God, admitted who he was, and asked for mercy. Oh God, be merciful to me, for I am a sinner. Friends, the people who escape are the humble. The people who escape are the humble. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Exalt yourself, you'll be humbled. Humble yourself, you'll be lifted up. Some of you are like, that's a great message for other people here today, Pastor Nate. So which character are you? 
If you find yourself always listening to a message for somebody else, maybe you need to stop and start saying, God, what are you saying to me? You see, the truth is in my journey, I've had highs and lows, but I struggle. I battle things just like you. You're like, no way, Pastor Nate, oh yeah. And when I face different moments in my story, I either present myself as perfect or I humble myself before God. Humility is an avenue that opens up God's escape mechanisms. He lifts up the trap when we humble ourselves. When we don't humble ourselves, the trap stays on us. This is the time of year in February when we have a natural low in Minnesota. Stats say that the highest level of depression and suicide are about a month after Christmas. Because you've already bought all the gifts that were temporary uh, medication for your pain. And now the bill has come in and you're trying to pay it. On top of that, in Minnesota, we've been stuck inside and it's cold. We don't have enough vitamin D. The flu bug is going around, which by the way, today we tried to encourage nobody to shake hands. <laughs> no passing, don't pass the flu. Do a little elbow bump or something. We're in a season where we're low. When you're low, you're vulnerable. When you're low, you're tempted to go back to the old scripts and go back to the bus and repeat the thing that's got you trapped. Anger comes out and frustration comes out and you want to escape into the old patterns. And it's right at those times where it's best not to ignore it or deny it or act like everything's right. What you need to do is humble yourself before God and just simply say, God, I need help right now. See into me, I need your help. I'm still that kid that you saved by grace. I still need you to lead me through what I can't do on my own. I still need help. And when things happen that are bad or negative or they come up, those are not signs that you are flawed and your DNA is bad. Those are opportunities for you to humble yourself and say, God, help me. I get up in the morning and I'm not a morning person. Coffee plus the Holy Spirit helps, right? But if I'm driving and I'm cut off in traffic and I'm angry at the person in front of me, after the anger explosion, <laughs> I am tempted to feel bad about myself. Like, here we go again. Can't I get out of this? And you can lay over your action steps or whatever you go through. Or I can simply say, God, that just happened to me. I don't like what's going on inside of me. Would you see into me? And intimacy with God is seeing into me. And you give him an opportunity to come in and pull out the stuff that is the source that drove you to anger. Lord, I didn't like the way I just responded to my wife. I, I, I don't like how I talk to my friends. I don't know why I went to that place on the internet. I don't know why I have a great craving for alcohol and I know I shouldn't go back to the bottle. I don't know why I'm doing those things. Those are not moments to push yourself away and be the Pharisee. Those are moments to bow your knee and humble yourself and say, oh God, I need you. 
you are my escape. You are my escape. Say that with me. You are my escape. Jesus is your escape. He is your pathway out. And if you humble yourself before him, it's the power of bending the knee, providing access to rescue you. Today, I know that God is going to begin the pathway of escape for all of us when we simply turn back to Jesus and say, I need you. Would you stand with me today?